I am excited for the study that we are about to jump into tonight because we are continuing our study of the life of David. David was a man after God's own heart, the Bible teaches. And though he was a man of many mistakes, that's how God saw him. When David was about to be anointed king by the Samuel the prophet. Samuel was sent to go seek out the next king of Israel. And Samuel went, and he went to the house of Jesse as commanded by the Lord. And while he was there, he looked at all of Jesse's sons. And he was looking at the men who were tall and looked strong and he said, surely, Lord, this is going to be the next king. And God told him, no, Samuel, it's not this one. He said, for man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And David was out there in the field, tending his sheep, as God was mending and sharpening and shaping his heart preparing him for the call to lead Israel, to be known as the forefather of the Messiah. God was preparing him. And along the way, David had his battles. David had his trials, his temptations, even his fears. But tonight, we are going to look at one of the most well-known accounts in the Bible. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're reading out of the New King James Version. Tonight, we study the battle of David and Goliath. Tonight, we study David's victory over Goliath. The title of my message today is David, David's victory over Goliath. We have uh, quite a few verses to run through tonight, so we are going to take some chunks. So let's begin right into it with verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with the valley between them. There in the valley of Elah today, it's still there in Israel. You could go visit it. And you could race down from one side of this valley all the way down to the other if you have the strength to do so. I think a lot of us are getting tired, and it's hard to run right now during quarantine. But you can run across this valley. Now, this made it a challenging battlefield because as either army was to advance forward, eventually they would face the opposing army on the higher ground. And if the enemy has the high ground, don't try it. Many of us know that's how Anakin lost his legs. Just kidding. You could take 
a rock from that valley today and bring it home as a souvenir. And it's really cool because you could say, oh, wow, I got the, the, the rock from the valley uh, of Elah. But the funny thing is they have to actually go back every once in a while and fill the, some of the, the creeks up with rocks because so many people take rocks. I got to, to visit there w- once, and they, uh, as a game, the tour guides, they, they set up this, uh, these rocks as a, kind of like this statue. And they said, okay, they had everyone stand on one side of, of the hill, and they said, everybody toss your rocks, and you try to knock over uh, Goliath. And it's this fun, cool little game that the, the Israelites, uh, the guides, they let, let us play, and we're all trying to toss our rocks and knock over the, these, this giant. And it's cool to see history come alive. In verse 4, it says, And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath, from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. So now this champion arises from the Philistines. And this, the Philistine nation, they were a nation, as you read the Bible, are constantly at war with the Israelites. Symbolically, the Philistines are portrayed as a symbol of the flesh in our life, the wickedness in our life. It is interesting to note as you continue on through 1 Samuel that King Saul was ordered to kill all of the Philistines, but because he spared some of the Philistines, at the end of Saul's life, those Philistines that he spared would end up killing him in battle. And it's a reminder, a lesson for us to completely rid out the flesh in our life and to leave no room for it to grow. Don't give the enemy a stronghold. As a believer, we're going to continue to study and grow in our walks in battle. Tonight, we are, this is with the story of one of the greatest battles in the Bible. And that's what we have as believers. We have spiritual warfare. This, this champion from the Philistines, Goliath, it says that he's over nine feet tall, six cubits in a span. That's over nine feet. He, he was so large that he could wear this coat of mail that was like the the kind of um, shirts that the, the soldiers would wear where there was like these metal rings. You would see them many times. And it's close to 125 pounds for Goliath. The iron spearhead that he carried itself, that was 15 pounds. So this very image that he would bring out onto the battlefield of this huge man with all his shiny armor, all the brass that would just be shining as the sun would hit it, and the enemies would see, and they might be really afraid. Look at this tall, shining enemy approaching us. 
And his very image was meant to incite fear into his enemy, the Israelites. But the interesting thing that it noted was that he had a shield bearer going before him. And I'm like, ah, even Goliath knew that he needed a shield. Why? Because he knew he had a weakness. He knew he was still a man. And the enemy in our lives definitely has a weakness. And that's Jesus Christ. When we're in the battle, when we're in that warfare, call out to Jesus. Use his name. Seek him. You see, when you want to get rid of the darkness, all you got to do is turn on the light and the darkness can't stay. Bring the light of Christ into your heart, into your mind, and let the darkness, force the darkness out. Let God do the work. In verse 8, Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So here's the challenge now from the enemy. He's taunting them. He's like, why even line up? As if to say, I'm just one man, calling them out by the servants of Saul, disrespectful to their king, Saul. This actually kind of reminds me, if you guys have ever seen the way champions uh, taunt each other, maybe in the UFC or in sports realms, and they try to get into their opponent's head. You see, if the enemy can get into your head, he has a good shot at making you submit to him. So how do we guard then against the enemy entering our mind? You see, we know that Satan is a liar, and we know that he uses lies to attack us. There's an interesting question concerning the enemy. Can the devil read your mind? I've been asked this question uh, many times, and my answer is always the same. My answer is only if God allows it. So I doubt, let's break it down for a moment. Because people do ask, can the devil read your mind? My first response to that statement is, I sincerely doubt that the devil is even worried about us. He's probably dealing with some of the leaders of the world or those who are in high places working with them. But that's not to say that he doesn't have his demons working on us. So then the next more theologically accurate question would be, well, can demons read our mind? And my response is the same. Only if God allows. You see, when Satan went to attack Job, he presented himself before the Lord God Almighty. 
and he asked to attack Job. And God allowed it because God knew that Job would come out. God knew that he was Job's redeemer. Again, Satan asked for Peter by name that he might sift him as wheat. But Jesus prayed for him. And Jesus told Peter, when you return, strengthen your brethren. So can the devil read your mind if God allows him? Can demons read your mind if God allows them? But God is greater than all. And he gives us the weapons and the tools of our warfare. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts and wickedness in the heavenly places. So, you see, there is spiritual warfare. What is Satan's purpose to make us ignorant? This is Satan's purpose. Satan wants to deceive us so that we don't know the will of God. God wants us to know and understand his will. If you're taking notes tonight, you don't need to turn your Bible here, but just write these Bible verses down, and maybe later on you could go look at them and, and meditate on them. You see, a lot of times we get concerned like, I don't know if I'm in God's perfect will, and we want to be. Well, understand this. God wants you to know his will, I'm sure way more than you even want to know God's will yourself. So God is going to try to get his will across to us through his word, through prayer, through other believers, through church, Bible studies. So many ways. Now, write this verse down. Acts twenty two fourteen. The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. That's Acts 22, 14. And again, in Ephesians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is God's will? Romans 12, 2 says it pretty easily. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So if God wants us to know his will, then what is our defense against Satan's lies? It's this right here the inspired word of God. This is our defense. We need to know God's word. We need to memorize God's word. We need to meditate on it and use it. Let's continue on in, in verse 12 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. In verse 12, it says, Now David was the son of that Epaphrodite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons, 
And the man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So we have right here kind of like the family tree of David. And look at how involved his family is with Israel. They were involved in the army, very connected to the leaders of Israel. King, or David was playing for the king of Israel. He was playing the harp. So they were very connected, surrounded by soldiers. Some of them were soldiers. Some of them were even laymen, some of the sons who were there also helping the dad with the farm. Politicians, soldiers. And David here, what is his responsibility in all of this? He was a shepherd. Now, shepherding back in those times was seen as a very low-class type of job. Uh, Maybe even a non-essential, if you will. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but David, the shepherds were known as being these guys who were, were very dirty and were, were constantly uh, seen as outcasts of society. And maybe that's how David felt, like an outcast. And yet God was raising him when he was doing his shepherding work. God is preparing his heart. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you feel like you're in a season of just dryness, a season of wilderness, and you're seeking to get to your promised land, and you're missing out on the lessons and the blessings that God has as he's preparing you now. I believe that's a word of the Lord for someone to continue to abide and to be responsible with what God has given you to not despise the day of small things and to let God allow you to grow. In verse 16, And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son, David, take now for your brothers an epaph of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. So Forty days now, Goliath is coming to the Israelites, and he's taunting them. I remember 40, it's, it's the number in the Bible of trial. It's the number of testing and of judgment, the number 40. And that no one would stand up to challenge Goliath. And he would come day after day just seeking for someone to try to step up to him. And when no one would fight, he would just continue to taunt them. 
So because of that, then I'm sure it says that they would fight. All of them would fight because no one was brave enough to fight him himself. So the whole army would go and then there'd be this warfare, these little battles. As I'm reading through this, I'm reminded so many times of the story of how many examples I've been taught of this story as, as a child. I remember uh, growing up at Calvary Chapel Golden Springs, they had the, their Camp Jubilee and there would be this play and th- they would have Goliath come out, this guy who, who played Goliath and he was a really tall guy. And all the kids w- would sing Goliath, boom, boom, Goliath, boom, boom. And there was this really cool interaction. I remember seeing that as a kid. I remember even seeing Goliath and David fight on VeggieTales. It was uh, little Davy, the little asparagus guy, and the giant pickle, Dave and the giant pickle. And the boxing gloves floated in front of the pickle. (laughs) But I remember all this as a kid. And so as you're growing with this being implanted into your heart and into your mind, these are the kinds of lessons that they don't leave you as a child. And I want to encourage listeners out there, teach your kids the stories of the Bible. Embed it into their hearts and into their minds, the accounts of the men of faith, the women of faith that are in the Bible. Instead of telling them all the, the, the scary fantasy stories or the weird uh, weird comical stories before they go to sleep. Tell them the stories of David and Goliath. Tell them the stories of Ratshak, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And let them grow in their faith as a child. For the Bible teaches that when you train them in the ways when they're young of the Lord, that when they're older, even if they should stray, they'll come back. They won't depart from it. In verse 20, so David rose early in the morning. He left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them and all the men of Israel when they saw the man fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him with the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Wow. So David now, as we saw this dialogue, as he meets his brothers and he's there 
and he, he gave them the supplies, and he hears about Goliath, and he hears now of the, this possible reward for someone who would fight against Goliath, and that, that reward would even be to get the king's daughter and exemption, tax exemption. Wow, I believe that's the word of the Lord for me. I'm just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> Verse 26, then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Look at the vision that David has here. He's saying, who is this man who defies the armies of the living God? I love to see David's passion. Do you have vision in your life for God to be glorified like David did? Do you desire to see God move in your life? Do you have passion for the call that God has placed in your life? May we be like David, asking, seeking, and knocking. Asking, God, what do you have in store? What's this next adventure of life that you have? How can I serve you, Lord? How can I wait at your feet? How can I be patient? And how can I trust you? In verse 28, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. We see this interaction between the oldest brother of the sons of Jesse and the youngest, who's David. Eliab here, he has this belittling attitude towards David, his younger brother. Now, this is probably due to the age gap and probably also the protective heart for his younger brother. He, he called him insolent, meaning rude and disrespectful boldness. And that's how he viewed David coming from the sheep fields to bring food to him. In verse 31, Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. So here we see Saul trying to talk some worldly sense into a young David. And perhaps we've been in these conversations before, maybe on the giving or the receiving end of it. A person with vision seeking to fulfill what they believe God is calling them to do 
and the loving intercessor who's trying to stop them from moving forward because they can't figure out how God is moving in such a way. A lot of times, it's hard to know and to trust when you see somebody taking a step of faith, but ultimately understand that God has a plan, that God is in control. And yes, we warn people when we see some really foolish things going on. We warn people when we see them going towards sin. But we also have to keep in mind that the Holy Spirit is working. It reminds me of the story of these two German men who became Moravian missionaries. Their last names were Dober and Nitschmann. See, the story of Dober and, and Nitschmann were of their, their missionary journeys was that they found out that there was this place where all these Moravians were being put into slavery. And God had placed it into their heart to go to sail to them to give them the gospel that they had heard themselves. Now, those who were in charge of the slaves over in Moravia wanted nothing to do with Christians coming to their land because they knew what Christianity taught about freedom. So those who were in charge, they wouldn't allow missionaries into their land. So these two men, Dober and Nitschmann, they said, fine, then we'll sell ourselves as slaves to the landowners and we'll serve as slaves with all the other slaves in order that we might preach the gospel to them. And I'm sure with much angst and, and bitterness and sorrow, the other family members of these two men tried to stop them from going and giving their lives up as slaves to go be missionaries in this field. And I'm sure they didn't understand. They were saying, why? You can do ministry here. God can use you here. And these men, they had to follow the call of God in their life. And the account goes that as they got onto the ship, they sold themselves into something that they realized this isn't just a missionary trip where you get to go for a few weeks and then come back with some awesome stories of how God moved. They were selling themselves into slavery, into a, a lifestyle that they would not be able to come back from. And so the two men got onto the ship and the account tells us that as the ship left the dock and they saw their families being separated from them, as the boat went on and on, the two men looked back at their families, grabbed arms, and they shouted back to their family, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. The reward of Jesus was their lives. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. 
May that be true in our life. May our lives be a servant to God. Despite what other people might think. In verse 34, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. See, David was prepared by the Lord. As he was growing up as a shepherd, God allowed these trials into his life. He allowed a bear to come and attack his sheep. He allowed a lion to come and attack his sheep. And God was training him in those sessions how to fight because there was going to be a bigger enemy to come later on. That was Goliath. You see, in our lives, God prepares us. Sometimes we don't feel like we're ready and sometimes we're not ready but God prepares you for the moment, despite what you think. Everything that we're doing is preparation for something else. Everything God is doing in our life, it's preparation for our next step. Even when we're at the end of our lives, God is preparing us for eternity with him. At the end of verse 37, it says, And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Verse 38. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. See, David had not tried on the tradition of Saul, of Saul, excuse me, but he had tried on the armor of God in his life. He knew what God could do in his life, and he didn't understand how he could carry himself with all the weight of Saul's armor. This reminds me of the armor that we are supposed to carry, and it's a type of armor that you can't see with your eyes. We see the after effects of it. This is God's arm, armor. Ephesians chapter 6 talks all about it. The spiritual armor from head to toe. Uh, on our feet, it's where to carry the gospel of peace. And we pray about that for all the armor parts. We pray them on. God, give me this gospel of peace that I might share with other people, that I myself may have grace and peace in my life to share with others. The belt of truth. The belt of truth is so that we can walk without hypocrisy. The belt of truth keeps us in line with God's word. We have the breastplate of righteousness. Now this breastplate 
we realize that we within ourselves are sinners. And we need Jesus to step in and to remove our sin and to place his righteousness there in front of us. We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, that we must study and memorize and use. We have the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts from the enemy. And then last but not least, we have our helmet of salvation. And we can rest assured that we are saved. The Bible teaches us that we can know that we are saved. So David was prepared for battle. In verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. Now many have commented that as you read 2 Samuel, you'll find out that Goliath actually had a Four other brothers. So David was preparing himself by getting five stones because he knew once he got Goliath, he was going to have to go after his other brothers. Now that's really insightful. I I can't say that's for sure the case. Uh, But either way, I do see that David was preparing himself to use those five stones. Are you planning for how God can use you in your life? Are you allowing yourself to be organized and responsible with what God has given you so that he can use you more and better and that you can lovingly just rest in him? Don't take on too much that God has not called you to do. Continuing on in verse 41, so the Philistines came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with the sticks? And And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Amen. The battle belongs to God. Give it to him. Give God the battle in your life. What does that mean? What does it mean when Christians talk about casting their cares upon God? 
You see, it means taking that issue that you're dealing with, struggling with, in a trial, whatever it might be, and trusting God with it, constantly placing it into his hands, and then letting go and saying, God, I trust you. I'm going to leave this in your hands. It doesn't mean that you're not preparing. It doesn't mean that you're not planning. But it means that you're allowing God to let peace come into your heart about it, about the situation. And then you let it go. Well, maybe you're, you're saying, well, I've done that. But then the next day, I feel like I'm in that same spot where we constantly, we grab that same situation and we bring it back and we're like, well, what do we do with this? Well, casting your cares upon God, it's something that needs to be constant. It's something that needs to be daily. And some of those things are a continual battle where we're constantly saying, okay, God, I'm going to give it to you again. I'm going to give it to you again. I'm going to trust you with it. And as you do that, God is working in you and through you, and he is paving the way, preparing you for his plans for eternity, for good. The Bible teaches us. We know in, in Zechariah it says, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This is God's truth. In verse 48, So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it, and it struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, that's Goliath's sword, and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Whoa. When you're imagining David run toward this giant Goliath, he doesn't have the type of slingshot that's like the Y little stick that the kids play with. He's got this, this rope with this little pouch at the end of it that he would have whipped around his head and flung that rock flying. And God, I believe, was just giving him that precise aim and target and speed to strike Goliath right in the forehead. And I love how that wiped Goliath out so much, and great was his fall. And as he now there is on the floor, David runs up to him to finish the battle. He takes out Goliath's own sword, and he cuts off the head of Goliath. Man, to me, if you find the Bible to be boring, I'm like, wow, like there's some really amazing stories and accounts in the word of the Lord. You just continue to read and grow in it. And something I also like to kind of take mention of is that David took what the enemy was using for evil, Goliath's sword, and he cut off the enemy's head with it. Perhaps in our, in our lives, the enemy has used certain things for evil. Well, take that thing and give it to God and let it turn into his glory. Now, I have to be careful when I say that because 
I don't want you to think that I'm telling you to use sin. No, let's, for example, music. Maybe in, in your past life you were gifted musically, and maybe you used it for things that were not edifying to the Lord. And then you got saved. And you still have this talent of music in your life. I would encourage you, use what the enemy was using for evil and use it for God and let God build it. Let God grow it. And that could be used over so many illustrations in our life. Whatever skills and talents that God has blessed you. It says, and when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And in verse 52, now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sharem, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, this is the beginning here of the little shepherd boy who nobody even minded. Nobody paid any attention to him. He was the youngest of Jesse's sons, and he was hanging out with the sheep all the time. But now, suddenly, God has placed David before the king of Israel, before one of the greatest battles that Israel had. And God has given David victory over Goliath. God is glorified in this. And now even an interest in David's family begins with King Saul saying, Who's, whose son are you, young man? You see, King David, his family was important. You see, there was a time in David's life later on where he would desire to build a house for the Lord, a temple for the Lord. And God had to stop him. He said, no, David, you cannot build me a house because your hands are too bloody. There's too much blood on your hands. But he said to David, but I'm going to build your house. And from your descendants, one will rise whose end and reign on earth will never end. And he was referring to the Messiah. You see, God was giving the victory in David's life here as a young shepherd boy, as he fought Goliath, 
And even in the end, God was promising David of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who gives us victory over the battle in our lives. Jesus, the Messiah, gives us victory over the battle of sin. He gave us that victory on the cross. He removed our sins and cleansed us. And then when he resurrected, we became more than overcomers because we've already won the battle. These are the lessons we learn as we study the life of David. I want to pray with you guys tonight because we are in a battle, a spiritual battle, a literal battle, a battle against an enemy that is physically not seen, a virus, and a battle over an enemy that's also not seen, but it's spiritual. And that's the enemy and his demons. We have the flesh to fight and the world. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is reminding us that the battle belongs to the Lord. I want to pray a, a, a prayer, specifically those who are fighting right now in their life. Fighting the good fight. And I love that phrase because when you fight the good fight, it reminds me that we're in a fight, a spiritual fight. So let's pray and know and understand that God has given us the victory. Dear God, we come before you. I thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. I pray and I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to have your Holy Spirit empower us, Lord God. Father, I pray for those who are fighting against fear, fighting against the fear of failure in their life. I pray for those who are fighting, Lord God, against sin, against the flesh. I pray for those who are fighting, Lord God, against the world and people who are not believing in God. I pray, Lord God, who are fighting against their own self, that you would give them victory in surrendering to you entirely, completely, fully. May we trust the work that Christ has done on the cross. And Father, may we be people who are repenting every day. Lord God, we know the battle belongs to you. We thank you that you have given us victory. I pray, Father, for those people that you would give them the, a, a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I pray and I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would remove the mountains, Lord God, or that you would come alongside them and carry them over the mountain, Lord God. You would give them the strength to walk over this mountain. I pray and I ask, Lord God, you would give them the courage to take that step of faith that you would give them, Lord God, the Holy Spirit conviction, Lord God, to repent. That you would give them the grace, Lord God, and the peace that surpasses all understanding in their hearts and in their minds. That you would use us, Lord God, equip us for your perfect work. We love you, Father. We praise you and we thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to have one more song.
So go in the grace of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.